All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today's episode, we'll be looking at the film from the Falcons week 11 loss to the New England Patriots and what that sort of tells us about the Falcons pass protection issues, as well as whether or not Arthur Smith can pull a Kyle Shanahan. And as we saw back in 2016, with an infusion of talent to that offense, will we see this team grow in the years to come with Arthur Smith? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com. RIP still going strong. However, on Twitter, at Falcfans, of course, giving you weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And, of course, Locked On Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, as well as now available on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the new Locked On Falcons YouTube channel and give us a like, leave a comment, all that jazz. So, guys, I apologize for the Monday morning commuters who were expecting to sort of roll out of bed Monday morning, take their kids to school, go to work, etc., with a new Locked On Falcons podcast available for them uh, now that they've got a mini break from the Falcons and unfortunately I have delayed that break but you know I sit here and I say uh, you know take take what you get from uh, that in terms of these mini breaks from the Falcons during bye weeks and this sort of mini bye after the Thursday night game and essentially I wasn't able to record that episode Sunday night so I apologize for that but uh, uh, we'll get this episode up as soon as possible on Monday so that you afternoon commuters when you come home from work uh, we'll be able to get it. So today's episode is going to be one in which we look at the film uh, coming off a Thursday night game. We're not going to wait uh, until Wednesday, the following week, to, to review the film. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the film issues uh, that I saw over the weekend watching the game. And that will lead to a, a big conversation about Matt Hennessy, the center, uh, sort of one of the standout takeaways I had from that Patriots game was the struggles that Matt Hennessy had at that center position going back to a conversation we had several weeks ago about what Matt Hennessy needed to do in order to become an effective player uh, moving forward here in Atlanta. And that will sort of get us into a conversation about the parallels between his 2021 offense and team uh, to that 2015 Falcons offense and team helmed by Kyle Shanahan in his first year as a play caller in the first year under Dan Quinn. And that will sort of get us into the conversation about whether or not the Falcons, if they upgrade the talent level to this 2021 team, much in the same degree that we saw this team do in the 2016 offseason, um, will that sort of pay off for this current regime come 2022 next year in year two under Arthur Smith, like we saw in year two under Kyle Shanahan? And sort of that will also get us into a, a more realistic timeline on whether or not the team can acquire the talent needed, uh, as many put it, uh, in order to, you know, uh, give this coaching staff success, not only short term, but then long term. So let's jump right into it and talk about, you know, Matt Hennessy's struggles in this game. And we've seen Matt Hennessy have problems before. Uh, you know, the week two game against the Bucks really stands out as one where he struggled not only against the big, more powerful nose tackles like Vita Vea and others, as well as handling the Falcons blitz or the Bucks blitz. The Falcons did a poor job handling the Bucks blitz in that game. 
And I think since then, since that week two game, Matt Hennessy has mostly been okay to fine to pretty solid until this past Thursday night. And I think this game kind of marked a regression for him. And, you know, that's a problem for your offensive line because the center is is essentially the anchor slash stabilizer for the entire unit there. And if you have poor center play, that's generally not going to reflect well on the rest of the offensive line. And going back several weeks ago, and I can't remember which episode it was, uh, but we talked, it was an episode where we talked about the offensive line issues and Kayla McGarry versus Matt Hennessy versus Jalen Mayfield. Um, And I was sort of at the time a little less or hesitant to sort of be like, oh, Matt Hennessy is going to be a long-term asset here. And in one of those episodes, I talked about sort of the three things that Matt Hennessy needed to do in order to be an effective center in this blocking scheme moving forward. And, you know, the first thing was he needs to win his one-on-one blocks as both a run blocker and pass protector. The second thing is he needs to make proper uh, protection calls. And the third thing is, you know, as a run blocker, he's supposed to be uh, that sort of heat-seeking missile taking out linebackers on the second level, given that the Falcons uh, rely on that outside zone uh, blocking scheme. And, you know, he failed at all three of those things in the, in this Patriots game. And, you know, as I said before, the one-on-one stuff, I, I think, is is going to be a box that Matt Hennessy's going to always struggle to check. Um, you know, he's just not a particular physical or, or big center. And one of the things I talked about in the scouting report I did a year ago uh, was that there's been a lot of undersized sort of centers in the same mold as Matt Hennessy that have gone on to have success in the NFL. There's plenty that have not. Um, it, it's going to be an issue. You know, I mentioned several in that episode and included uh, a player like Todd McClure that Falcon fans, <clears throat> sorry, are more familiar with. And, you know, what's interesting about Tom McClure's time in Atlanta, although we look back at it with great nostalgia and reverence, you know, during the peaks of it from 2000 to 2010, you know, Tom McClure was a much more polarizing and, and probably, you know, surprised to many Falcon fans today, a much more unpopular player uh, during his playing career than he has been post-playing career. And I think part of the popularity of Todd McClure, the Mud Duck, as we affectionately know him, is largely due to the struggles that the Falcons had at the center position after him. And I think it retroactively caused people to appreciate him a little bit more than when they, when he was playing. Um, But, you know, the thing that Todd McClure did well uh, was in those two areas where he wasn't a great one-on-one blocker, but he was very good at the protection calls and he was a good sort of heat seeking missile. In terms of that heat-seeking missile stuff, that was also a question mark with Hennessy uh, coming out. And we talked about while he has excellent athleticism because he's more of that sort of finesse player, um, you know, when he's that heat-seeking missile, the analogy is that he's not necessarily destroying his targets. He's just sort of taking out their engines. And that's fine if you have a high-level running back that can sort of make guys miss and run past guys and, and create, you know, in the open field like he had at Temple uh, with Ryquel Armstead, um, but if you don't have that, and certainly a lot of people are calling that into question here in Atlanta, you know that means that you your center needs to sort of carry a little bit more of the burden of sort of hitting those blocks and, and taking out those defenders at the at the next level. And, and one wonders that you know you can get away with that at Temple, but can you get away with that with a jumping competition in the NFL? Uh, given that the linebacker play is going to be a much higher quality at the pro level than it is at the college level. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed with the Patriots game was that the Patriots consistently lined up a nose tackle over him, whether that was Christian Barmore, Carl Davis, or Devon Godshaw in this game. And that was a contributor to some of these issues, not only the one-on-one blocking, but also 
being able to control him at the line of scrimmage, which prevented him from climbing at the second level. And that allowed players like Jawan Bentley and Dante Hightower to flow freely uh, and help shut down the Falcons run game, um, whether that was in pursuit or to come downhill. And, and those guys were also sort of winning uh, their sort of downhill blocks in that manner. And, you know, the contributing factor to why I tend to be a little bit more critical of, of Falcon linebackers in the past and, and currently because I have for years, I have watched other teams linebackers win against offensive linemen and the Falcons linebackers seem to rarely do that. Um, you know, although, you know, for you, is, is kind of changing that narrative, but that's a conversation for another day. So, um, you know, I think when it comes to the protection issues, that was also a struggle. And, you know, one of the things I noted in that episode talking about this before was that Hennessy is still young and one hopes that the protection stuff and being more comfortable making those line calls will grow with added experience. But obviously we've seen, you know, two blitz happy teams like the Bucks and, and Patriots have a lot of success, um, you know, calling up those blitzes. And, you know, that was to me was a, the protection was a contributing factor to why Matt Ryan struggled in this game. And obviously the offense subsequently struggled in this game. And you look at, for instance, the sack given up by Matt Judon, that looked like a play where the Falcons should have had that blocked up because it looked like a play where uh, Quadru Olison um, was meant to chip Matt Judon, uh, who was going to go up against Kayla McGarry on the outside. Uh, and the Patriots had four other rushers and the Falcons had obviously four other blockers on the offensive line that should have been able to account for those four other rushers. But on that particular instance of the play, Jalen Mayfield wound up blocking no one. And so Olison essentially had to peel back, pick up the free rusher. I think it was Hightower uh, that, you know, was now unaccounted for, which left McGarry on an island. And that obviously resulted in disaster where we've seen McGarry struggles against speed and, and Janon beat him with speed. Um, and it's not to sort of, give McGarry a pass. He has to do a better job there. But that to me is an instance where it seemed like what was called out of the huddle kind of broke down because of things that the Patriots did. And it felt like the Patriots were able throughout this game on several instances to take advantage of some of these breakdowns in pass protection where they would be able to get a free rusher, um, you know, coming through the a gap or coming off the edge or whatever the case may be, because the Falcons protections were not always on point. Um, and you look at another play like Ryan's first interception on that play where the Patriots showed double a gap pressure with Bentley and Hightower. Um, and it essentially led the play led to both of those guys getting pressure and getting a hit on the quarterback because they essentially ran a twist up the middle uh, from that a gap. Uh, and that caused Matt Ryan to sort of throw it up uh, to Kyle Pitts who stopped running on the route. And, and that led to an interception and, you know, Talking about that particular drive that ended in the disaster for the Falcons, that drive also featured, you know, three other passes on that drive um, and including the interception, you know, um, three out of the four passes that Matt Ryan made on that drive was clearly indications, at least based off my film study, that he was kind of locked in on Kyle Pitts on that play. The one exception was the 19-yard throw to Russell Gage on the second and 17, which, in my opinion, was Matt Ryan's best throw and play of the night. Um, but it kind of goes back to something I discussed on last week's episode, talking about the uh, Cowboys game in the film review from there, where it does seem like, you know, Matt Ryan is locking a little bit more on Kyle Pitts. And we talked about that in relation to question marks about the Falcons' talent elsewhere and relating that to 
in the past where Matt Ryan was uncomfortable with an offense or uncomfortable with the playmakers around him, he would have a tendency to lock in on Julio Jones and that made the Falcons offense not as effective. And I don't say this as a, a knock against Matt Ryan. I completely understand it. You know, the, the, the Falcons best quarterback of all time, Matt Schaub, anytime he got in the game would basically, I'm throwing it to Julio. He's our best player. If I was in the game, if you or I were in the game, we would sit here and be like, throw the ball to Julio Jones. Um, and I'm sure now, we do the same thing with Kyle Pitts where he's clearly better. So it's not a knock against the quarterback. It's just uh, basically to me, it's a symptom of a larger disease uh, for this offense. And sort of it, it brings back the conversation about, you know, how much comfort level does Matt Ryan have? You know, whether we're talking about the play calling, whether we're talking about the talent around him, particularly at that wide receiver position. And, you know, I think it has caused uh, a lot of people, including myself, to think back of the last time we saw Matt Ryan really, really uncomfortable. I, again, I don't think he's as uncomfortable today as he was then, but you go back to that 2015 season with some of the concerns around the talent uh, surrounding Matt Ryan, particularly at the wide receiver position where the Falcons had a lot of new faces that he was unfamiliar with. You had a brand new uh, offensive system under Kyle Shannon, and really the first time in Matt Ryan's career that he had to completely learn a new system, and it was clearly uncomfortable for him, and that caused a lot of the struggles. But then we saw this team with adding talent the following offseason – you know, turn it around and have a historically great offensive season and clearly the best offensive season we've ever seen in Falcons history. And I think it causes a lot of people to look at some of these parallels and say, can this 2022 Falcons team do the same thing with a talent infusion moving forward? And that's what we're going to talk about as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, you know, we're talking about the familiarity of the 2015 versus 2021 Falcons. But Talking about familiarity, does this sound familiar? You know, you have that one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, and of course, you're watching sports highlights on your phone. And then you got your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's, former roommate Deborah's login for your preferred streaming service. Well, I want to tell you about a way in which you can get the entertainment you love without any of the hassle. A great way to finally get your TV together, and it's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live on your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, besides not having to borrow Deborah's login, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required content varies by package. So we discuss, you know, some of the concerns these last couple of weeks surrounding Arthur Smith's play calling. And I think, you know, the narrative, particularly as it relates to the talent or lack thereof, um, has a lot of folks looking at, you know, that 2015 season from the past where the Falcons lacked talent, had a new play caller under Kyle Shanahan. And then in 2016, the team went out and made some significant offseason additions to the offense, prominently Alex Mack. Uh, Muhammad Sanu and Alger Robinson and Taylor Gabriel at the wide receiver position, tight end Austin Hooper. And we saw obviously the biggest improvement we've ever seen from a Falcons offense uh, from one year to the next. And I think a lot of people are making the assumption that the Falcons can and will do the same thing with Arthur Smith. We just need a talent infusion. Uh, and similarly along the offensive line at the skill positions and add more weapons for Matt Ryan to throw to and, you know, improve the run game. Um, and you'll see a similar jump. And I, you can certainly see the parallels. You know, we've already talked about Matt Hansey. You can look at the parallels with Mike Person being considered a replacement level starter for that team back then. Um, you know, you had two new 
veteran starting guards in that 2015 season with Andy Levitri and Chris Chester. You had basically Ryan Schrader making his first time as a full-time starter at the right tackle position. He only started the second half of the 2014 season after Lamar Holmes got hurt. And then you look at the parallels with the wide receiver position from 2015. You had, you know, obviously you had Julio Jones, but after that, you didn't have a whole lot. You know, you had a wash version of Roddy White. Sorry, uh, but it's true. Uh, you had Leonard Hankerson essentially acting as your number two that year, um, but then getting hurt after seven games. Um, and you saw during that time where he was at number two, he was very inconsistent when it came to drops. Justin Hardy, essentially, after Hankerson got hurt, filled in uh, sort of as your number three. Uh, and then Nick Williams was your number four wide receiver for much of that season. You had Jacob Tamiat at tight end, kind of at that point in his NFL career, an average NFL starters that had been several years removed from the success he had with Peyton Manning as his quarterback in Indianapolis and Denver in 2010 and 2012. Um, but I think when you look at sort of, you see all those parallels, but I think there's one key difference, one area of contrasting, and that's the play calling. You, we look at that 2015 Falcons offense and say, oh, yes, they struggled because they did when you look at the big picture. But, I, you know, I don't think people truly account how good that offense was at the beginning of that 2015 season, especially during that 5-0 and start that they had where it was largely fueled by how high-powered an offensive attack that they featured that year. And, you know, you go through roughly midway through that season around week eight, the Falcons were a top four scoring offense at that point in the season. Devontae Freeman was leading the NFL in rushing yards that season. So you saw a healthy rushing attack back then where instances essentially where, you know, Kyle Shanahan, the scheme was making two relatively obscure running backs. And again, not to knock Devontae Freeman and, and Tevin Coleman, but Tevin Coleman was a rookie. Devontae Freeman was basically a, a backup fourth round pick the year before. And you saw the quote unquote scheme, you know, maximizing what was considered a a pretty lackluster relative to other teams running back room, um, you know, taking what was arguably considered a bunch of disparate parts on the offensive line and, and turn that into one of the better rushing attacks, at least for half a season. Now, obviously there was that week nine game against the 49ers where the Falcons running game got completely shut down. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for whatever success the Falcons were having in 2015. And, and they would basically you know, go start going downhill and basically re re remain going downhill until like the final month of the season, starting in that week nine loss to the uh, 49ers. And, you know, I think when we look back at the parallels, um, you know, as I said, you know, Devontae Freeman was having success in the ground game. And, and even you look at those disparate parts in the passing game, you know, Leonard Hankerson was productive for the half a season that he played. Like he was on pace to have a thousand yards that year. Um, and so really the, the point I'm trying to make is like, contrary to what you're seeing in 2021 with the Arthur Smith team and, and some of the skill position players there, it felt like a lot of the skill position players uh, in 2015 were having career years that, you know, Jacob Tammy was certainly more productive than he had been the previous years as a uh, player in Denver, Mike person who went into that 2015 season with zero NFL starts, at least, through the first half of the season caused a lot of people to be like, Oh, my person's good. You know, that's part of the reason why those that know me know I was on team James stone, that I was never a believer in that, but at least Mike person was a functional to decent starter for the first half of the season. The 49 game really was kind of the end for him as well. Um, but you know, I, I, you look at Julio Jones being on pace for like a historic season that year, 
Um, and, you know, when I think about the play calling, you know, I always think back to that week three Cowboys game, speaking of Julio Jones and, and sort of the dominance he showed in the second half of that game where the Falcons were down 28 to 17 at halftime to a Brandon Whedon led Cowboys team. And, you know, you, you look at what the Falcons were able to do in the second half, you know, at halftime, Julio, I think had three catches on eight targets for 27 yards in that game. And the Cowboys had done a very effective job jamming him at the line of scrimmage and, and preventing him from getting into his routes. And so essentially what Kyle Shanahan did in the second half was he made adjustments and basically started utilizing a bunch of stack concepts uh, with him and Hankerson lined up, you know, you know, one behind the other to essentially prevent uh, Dallas from jamming Julio at the line of scrimmage and giving him a free release and, and really utilize that particular concept very effectively. I remember there was a third down early in the third quarter that the Falcons converted throwing the ball to Julio and Dallas defended it a certain way. And the Falcons, you know, were able to convert despite how Dallas defended. So they ran it again later in the fourth quarter in the red zone and Dallas basically defended it the way that they had ran it initially. The Falcons did. Um, and then basically what Kyle Shanahan did was adjust and basically say, Oh, you, you know, we're going to zig while you zag. Um, and like that was clearly an instance where the Falcons ran something to set up something later in the game. And like that, the level of intention in the Kyle Shanahan offense that was on regular display, particularly in the early part of that season that we just haven't really seen in the Arthur Smith offense. Um, Now, that being said, is it fair to compare Arthur Smith to Kyle Shanahan? Probably not. And you could certainly argue that given that we know how things, you know, really took off for the Falcons in 2016, we kind of look back with nostalgia and through the power of hindsight to the 2015 season and see a lot more of the positives uh, from Kyle Shanahan. Now that we're several years removed that at least during the time when we were there, you know, especially when you consider how popular or let's say unpopular Kyle Shanahan was and and popular, the hashtag fire Shanahan mantra was uh, amongst Falcon fans. I was never necessarily a, buyer into that, but certainly going into that 2016 season, one of the things I said uh, on the podcast way, way back then um, was that, you know, if you thought that 2016 Falcons team was poised for big things, it was totally tied to the level of confidence that you had in Kyle Shanahan. Um, And at that time, I will readily admit that I wasn't as confident in Kyle Shanahan to basically die on the hill that, you know, Kyle Shanahan was going to figure it out. And obviously he did. But at the time, you know, that looked a lot more in doubt than we obviously, you know, the point is that we now have the power of hindsight to say, oh, that wasn't in doubt. So I think it's fair to sit here and say that maybe it's not a fair comparison with Arthur Smith. If we're going to denigrate Arthur Smith uh, for not necessarily living up to the Kyle Shanahan standard, when in reality, no one thought Kyle Shanahan was living up to the Kyle Shanahan standard at the time. But I, I do have those concerns going back to what we're talking about, which is, you know, you look at a lot of skill position players, players like Mike Davis and Wayne Goldman, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage, that have been productive starters in the NFL under previous regimes here in Atlanta or elsewhere. Um, and it just kind of in the fact that all these guys are kind of underachieving under Arthur Smith makes me a lot more skeptical in, you know, when you compare him to what we saw from Kyle Shanahan with players like Freeman and Hankerson and, and Tammy and Person and, and all these other guys that we're talking about and Julio. Um, sort of thriving. Um, it, it felt like Shanahan's system was taking low level and unproven players and, and turning them into productive starters 
uh, at least for part of that 2015 season. And it seems like Smith's system is taking proven players and making them look like low level, unproven starters uh, this year. And, and sort of when you look at the players like Nick Williams, Hankerson, Tammy Freeman, DeMarco, Julio, all were having career years or at least on the verge of having careers. If some of those guys had stayed healthy that year um, under Shanahan, and you're not really seeing that with, you know, outside of Cordero Patterson and and Kyle Pitts in 2021. And so, um, you know, obviously there's still a lot of football left to be played. So I I don't want to sit here and and be like, let's write everybody off, whether that's Arthur Smith as well as some of the players currently on the roster. But for me, at least, I'm kind of pumping the brakes on the idea that this 2021 team, you know, can take a significant leap forward next year with an talent infusion like we saw with that 2015 team going into 2016 um, with the additions of the Max and the Sanus, et cetera. Um, so, you know, this is why I think it's much more important that Arthur Smith show that he can maximize the talent that the Falcons currently have over the next eight or so games. Uh, short term, because I think it, it potentially figures into the long term stuff. But, you know, in terms of that long term stuff, let's, you know, finish today's episode talking about let's assume that it is a talent issue that the Falcons are lacking. And let's really get into a conversation about what is the sort of timeline for how long it's going to take for Arthur Smith and company to acquire the talent that they need in order to be successful. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast but before we do guys i want to thank you for making lockdown falcons your first listen each and every day and of course i always have recommendations for what should be your second listen of course if you are local to georgia or big fan of georgia slash atlanta sports of course you can check out lockdown hawks lockdown braves lockdown bulldogs all here on the lockdown podcast network lockdown braves and lockdown bulldogs are also available on youtube in addition to as Locked on Hawks is available on the variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. So, guys, uh, Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has a new flavor, vanilla cream, as well as a variety of uh, sort of limited time flavors that they've had now for the last couple of weeks. But, you know, eventually these flavors are going to go away. So if you haven't tried the Paranormal Pumpkin, the Coconut Marshmallow, the Strawberry Puff, the Blueberry Muffin, now is the time to do so. But maybe you also want to head over to Built Bar uh, and uh, try any of the tried and true favorites like peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, cookies and cream. We know that built bars are great because it tastes just like a candy bar, but you get none of the guilt because they're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. For example, you know, coconut almond tastes just like an almond joy, mint brownie tastes like in any combination of mint and chocolate. The double chocolate is like a Hershey's bar, cookies and cream is borrowing from the flavor of Oreo. So if you like any of those things, but want them to be a little bit healthier so you don't get to indulge in those things, of course, you can do so now thanks to Built Bar. And you can take advantage of this offer by heading to built.com using the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So we saw another topsy-turvy weekend of NFL action in week 11, uh, even without the Falcons participating in this weekend's action. And if you've got things figured out uh, and know who's going to win each and every week, and I certainly do not, uh, then maybe you want to head over to betonline.ag, the number one spot for everything NFL. Next weekend, the Falcons are favored by one point on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I suspect that line might move by the time we get to Sunday. So I think it's best to head over to the website and sign up today 
and use the promo code locked on when you do for a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you deposit 500 bucks, you get $250 in free money to play with. BetOnline, of course, is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the available offers at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So again, to wrap up today's Lockdown Falcons, we're essentially operating on the, the premise that talent is overwhelmingly the problem. And let me make my stance clear before we continue today's episode. I do think talent is a legit issue here in Atlanta. Um, I think talent has been a legit issue here in Atlanta, especially for the last four seasons, basically since that 2017 season. You know, I just have a little bit of hesitance chalking up all or most of the Falcons' problems to a lack of talent. I, You know, I think it's obviously talent coaching execution are all issues that the Falcons are dealing with. And we can certainly debate how much of each is the problem. You know, for example, with talent, maybe it's as low as 25% of the problem the Falcons are dealing with. Maybe it's as high as 65%. Given you guys know my history with, you know, splitting the difference with eye levels and whatnot, you know, that probably means that if it's between those two ranges, then it's really 45% uh, of the problem. So, um, if that's the case, then, you know, that still leaves about 55% of the problem being coaching related the majority of the problem being coaching related, whether we're talking about that being play calling, you know, preparation, execution, all these various things that we attribute more to lack of coaching or, or whatever the case may be. So I want to make that clear before we continue today's episode. Um, but let's, for example, as we operate moving forward, that say it's 65% of the problem or potentially higher. Uh, the Falcons' current struggles offensively and, and defensively are related to talent. And again, I think that narrative fits a lot better for the defense than it does for the offense. Let's talk about how long it will take for the Falcons to add that talent. You know, it could take a number of years. Um, and basically the argument I'm going to make as we continue today's episode is that if it does take a number of years, that puts, again, more pressure on this coaching staff in the short term to maximize the current talent that they have um, in the meantime, until they add that talent, if they do intend to keep their jobs long-term. So let me explain that in years past, the research I have done when it's come to the draft is that when you look at back at draft five years later, only about a quarter of the players, about 25% of those players become quality starters. And it doesn't mean that other players don't start games, but typically by the time they get to year five, they will have washed out, as potential starters and, and teams will be looking to replace them. And, and you can look at past Falcon examples, a player like DeMonte Casey, Wes Schweitzer, Levine Toilolo would qualify as guys that started games uh, for the Falcons, but weren't necessarily guys that I think would label as quality starters. They're just sort of kind of stop gaps uh, in that regard as starters. You know, the quality starters, we're looking more at the Jonathan Babinos, the Robert Alfords, Willie Moe, Corey Peters went on to, to be this in Arizona, those type of players that essentially were able to go on and, and continue to start in the league, you know, not only after five years, but seven years, potentially 10 years uh, further in their career, uh, if you know, health allowed them to. And so for me, you know, when we're talking about um, talent level, you know, players like Hayden Hurst and, and Russell Gage, when a lot of people are looking at those guys as guys that aren't quality starters, you know, and when you look at, you know, this current group, the goal is to upgrade those guys, right? Um, and say, when this team is struggling with talent, we need to get better guys than what those guys are providing. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's fair to question whether Hayden Hurst and, and Russell Gage are those quality starters on the par with the Babineaux's and the Peters and the Willie Mose, et cetera. 
But when we're looking at, you know, one out of four draft picks becoming this, that means that if you draft eight players each year, realistically, you're probably only going to find two of those guys in each draft. And the question then becomes, okay, if that's the case, how many years does it take to draft all those guys? How many guys do the Falcons need? Um, and I think when you look at the offense, at a minimum, you're probably looking at the running back position uh, as an area of upgrade. You probably want to add at least one more pass catcher, probably a, a wide receiver, and you probably want to get at least one upgrade along the offensive line, whether we're talking about the center position, the left guard position, the right tackle position. At a minimum, you're probably looking at three potential starters on the offense. Um, again, I think you can argue that more are needed, but I would generally say like the minimum that the consensus would probably agree with is probably at least those three spots. Then you look at defense, you know, basically if you're looking at your four man front, it's basically Grady Jaron and nobody else. So you kind of need three other guys to, to team with him up front. You know, maybe you can say the linebackers, you don't need anybody because for you, will sort of blossom in year two if the Falcons can manage to re-sign him. And then if you wind up dumping Deion Jones, like I think is probably going to happen this upcoming offseason, you know, Michael Walker could potentially step up and replace him. I know Michael Walker is, is very popular among a subset of Falcon fans. Um, so maybe that means you're good at the linebacker position. You don't necessarily need a quality starter there. You're probably looking at at least, what, one corner to upgrade Fabian Moreau, if not also two with the nickel cornerback position. And, you know, at the safety position, let's say you're being very uh, optimistic and you think Jalen Hawkins will man one of those starting spots and Richie Grant will also make a big leap in year two under Dean Pease uh, to man the other spot. So defensively, and again, th- these are conservative uh, estimates, but you got three guys up front and one cornerback. So you need four starters on defense going with the three starters at, at a minimum you need on offense. That's seven starters. So if you're going to only draft two per year in the draft, that's three and a half years that it's going to take to add seven starters. Now let's say that you're a little bit better than the average drafting team in one year, you get three of those guys instead of two. Right. Um, so, you know, that would then lower it to three years instead of um, more. So that would mean the 2022, 2023 and 2024 drafts would be required for you to find the at least, again, seven starters. And again, this doesn't factor in the attrition that's going to occur between now and 2024, where your 2018, 2019 and 2020 draft classes by that point in time at the start of the 2024 season um, will have all hit free agency for the most part. And, you know, there's 10 guys currently that you have, um, you know, from those three draft classes that are being counted for starters. And if those guys walk, then you'll also be having to replace them. So the the point is, you know, if it's going to take a minimum of three years to acquire the talent that you need to be successful, what do you do in the meantime with the quote unquote subpar talent that you currently have? And and that's why, again, I think I, I continue to make the point that we need to see this coaching staff elevating the current talent level of this roster rather than just simply buying into the notion of like in the future, we'll be able to get more talent and all of our problems will go away. So you're essentially reliant now, you know, if that's the case on a accelerated timeline uh, for the team, which is, you know, leads a lot more to needing to see this coaching staff develop these players and, and do better job currently. Um, but, you know, I think the pressure is going to be on that you're not going to get, you know, three or four years to to figure it out. Uh, this coaching staff, I don't think is going to have that luxury. I think, you know, this year, if they don't make the playoffs, then next year, you know, puts a lot of pressure on them to make the playoffs or at least show significant improvements. Not to sit here and say, like, if they miss the playoffs, then Arthur Smith's going to get fired after two years. But he's certainly going to be on a relatively hotter seat come 2023. And that year may wind up being that sort of playoffs or bust type of season. 
Um, and so, you know, if the Falcons don't do it, then, then, you know, by the time we get to 2024, where we're talking about, oh, the Falcons will now finally have all the talent that they need to be successful. Chances are high that, you know, that may be with a, not only a new head coach, but also potentially a new quarterback. Because again, I don't see Matt Ryan getting another opportunity with a different coaching staff Then you know, to me, Arthur Smith is going to be his last coaching staff that he will play under here in Atlanta. Um, so they're going to have to figure it out at some point. And so if you're going to accelerate the timeline um, and, and say, like, we're going to be able to do it sooner uh, because of the pressure that is potentially mounting for this coaching staff, if they don't get the results on the field with wins and loss and, and, and postseason berths, um, then essentially you're going to have to draft much better than a typical NFL team. And certainly no one's going to complain if the Falcons do pull that off. But, you know, it goes back to one of the things that I remember getting some pushback from folks following on the heels of this 2021 uh, draft class. And again, I don't want to sit here and, and write off this 2021 draft class by all means after, you know, 10 games. But, you know, I remember post-draft, I kind of gave the class not a glowing grade. I gave it kind of like a C plus or whatever. And people were sort of being like, how can you say that when you say that, you know, Kyle Pitts can be a, an elite tight end and Richie Grant can be a solid starter for the team. And, you know, part of that was owed to the the idea that if with nine picks, and you hit on two starters, like that's kind of just average NFL drafting. That's typical, particularly when you're picking as high as the Falcons were with two top 40 picks. Yeah, you should be able to get two really good players with those picks. But if you're not hitting on any of the other seven picks, then you're not really doing a whole lot talking about that 25% hit rate when it comes to quality starters. So, you know, what separates, you know, essentially the argument I made then and, and will make today is kind of what separates the men from the boys when it comes to drafting is being able to find players like Justin Simmons or Alvin Kamara, or George Kittle, Stefan Diggs, or even Grady Jarrett, you know, after the top 40 or 50 or so picks in the draft. Um, the other way, of course, you can supplement the timeline is by, you know, being a little bit more active in free agency um, than necessarily relying solely on the draft to build up your roster. And this is a contributing factor to why I'm so fascinated with to see what the Falcons do next off season and have been so for several months now, because, you know, will they start to sort of feel the pressure uh, to, you know, win now and, and be a lot more willing to give out, you know, big bucks in the off season to find their very own version of Alex Mack and, Muhammad Sanu and Derek Shelby and Adrian Claiborne and Dwight Freeney and, and of course the incomparable Matt Schaub as we saw this team do in 2016 to try to improve the talent level of that roster from 2015 will the Falcons you know whether it's extending Grady Jarrett you know some people talking about extending Matt Ryan um, you know all that sort of thing and, and spending you know big bucks in free agency to upgrade the talent level and you know we'll just sort of have to see what happens and I, I sit here despite you know sharing some pessimism about the long-term future of this team, you know, um, you know, my goal is not to simply, you know, be doom and gloom. It's just, it's hard for me to paint a rosy portrait when I think at least in my eyes, you realistically see the, the hurdles that the Falcons are going to have to overcome, whether that's short-term coaching, whether that's long-term drafting, whether that's long-term team building, all these various things that are not easy things to achieve and that you can't just simply snap your fingers. And so, um, you know, I don't, my goal is not to be pessimistic, I'll, you know, although I'm sure many of you would disagree with that. Uh, you know, like how, how is that? You're not your goal, for Aaron, when you come on this podcast every single day to be pessimistic, <laughs> to put me in a, bower, uh, a bitter mood every day before work and whatnot. But, you know, my, my thing is just like, I'm just not going to blow smoke up your butt and, and tell you the thing that you want to hear simply just for the sake of telling you the thing you, that you want to hear. Because, you know, I, I think a lot of it is tied to the fact that, you know, people want it to be 
solely or primarily a talent issue. So therefore it is a talent issue uh, because that seems like a much easier fix, I think, to a lot of folks than it is if it's talent, if it's coaching, if it's all of these things sort of wrapped up together. And so, um, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I do want the Falcons to be successful, but I just, you know, say, I guess I have a little bit too much integrity to sort of just blow smoke up your butt and, and tell you a thing just because I want it to be true uh, rather than actually believing it it to be true. So um, that's where we'll leave it here, guys. Um, you know, again, a lot of issues that Falcons going to have to deal with. It's not to sit here and say that Arthur Smith is bad coach because he hasn't, you know, passed the Kyle Shanahan standard and produced a top five offense at this point so far the season. You know, maybe we a year from now, we're looking back at a resurgent Falcons offense and look back at some of the highs that we saw from this team in, in this current season and say, oh, like that was his, um, you know, second half of the Cowboys game uh, sort of moment. And we just sort of missed it because we're lost in it. It's hard to see sort of uh, the forest for the trees uh, when you're in the middle of the forest. I, I don't know how that phrase works, but you, you guys kind of get, it, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in the darkness of the tunnel. I, I don't know. Uh, whatever that analogy is that works, I'm, I'm butchering it here at the end of the show, but uh, there you guys have it. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about more stuff with the Falcons. And then probably on Wednesday, we can do a Q and a, so if you want to provide feedback on anything I've discussed on today's episode, anything you want me to discuss on future episodes or anything that I should have discussed on previous episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons on Facebook. At Lockdown Falcons, you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Of course, you can also leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. So, guys, I appreciate you for tuning in for another episode of Lockdown Falcons and making you um, making Lockdown Falcons um, your first listen each and every day. And of course, another recommendation for your second listen is of course the lockdown bets podcast where you can get a better handle on the weird and wonky um, recent weeks of NFL football, as well as other sports with handicapping expert Lee Sterling, giving you his daily picks his blowout specials. And of course his lock of the day each and every day on the lockdown bets podcast, free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google and Spotify. Appreciate it guys. Hope you had a great Falcons free weekend. I hope you have, a better Falcons full week uh, this week, but you know, we got some holidays coming up, so we'll keep it locked here on uh, lockdown Falcons. And uh, you know, we'll have a crossover later this week to preview that upcoming Jaguars game. And I hope you guys uh, continue to make lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Appreciate it guys. Till then.